Hi, I'm Rob Dietz. I'm Asher Miller. And I'm Jason Bradford. Welcome to Crazy Town, where Jim Jones, Alex Jones, and the Jonas Brothers all got their best ideas. The topic of today's episode is positive feedback loops. And please stay tuned for an interview with Beth Salwin. Hey, Jason and Rob, have you guys ever been in a situation where you feel like things just got amplified? So it started small and then kind of went out of control all of a sudden, and you're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unlike most Disney characters, I grew up in a family with, uh, I had an older sister. Uh, Fights always amplified, (laughs) went out of control. Well, that's actually why why I bring this up, because I just had this dynamic, you know, my family's been... Largely stuck at home for the last year plus, right? Right. Yeah. Getting, you know, nerves getting frayed, getting annoyed with each other. And um, my youngest son was upset by something. He started yelling. That got me all uptight. So I started yelling, you know, then then my wife gets upset. And then <laughs> Did the other... she start yelling? Um, she actually didn't start yelling, but the dog just got upset. He started yelling, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just something that like felt like holy shit, this is good, getting out of control all of a sudden. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, you know, I can think of situations where I've gone into a restaurant and it's been you know f- fairly nice. You, you, the tables aren't full, and you you sit it down, you start having a meal, and then you know maybe you get there around six p.m. But by six thirty, the place is packed, and you find you have to kind of start yelling across the table to be heard. But of course, that means that. The table next to you, they have to yell to be heard. Right. And there's just this din, and you just realize, oh my gosh, it's it's just nuts in here. I can barely hear myself think anymore. And pretty soon your vocal cords are wasted and, and you yeah. can't speak at all. Well, I just, I get, I, then I get out my loudspeaker, right? <laughs> right. My megaphone. You got to compete everybody that else. Does, yeah. I don't like going to restaurants with you, Jason, when you rip out that megaphone and start shouting at me. It's <laughs> yeah. just not pleasant. Yeah. Well, it makes everyone else shut up. He likes to great. do it in an empty restaurant. Right. <laughs> right. He's just preempted all, right? Yeah. Well, I, that reminded me of a uh, something I once saw on the uh, on the mean streets of Philadelphia, mm. the city of brotherly love, yeah. city of Rocky uh, Balboa. Yeah, so I lived there. There's a kind of a famous night spot on South Street where all the bars and stuff are. And I was walking there one night, and these two guys uh, started kind of uh, getting in each other's mugs. And as happens in Philadelphia, one of them probably said to the other, eh. and, "And then the other guy was like, hey." Ugh. And the other guy was like, hey, hey. And he started throwing batteries <laughs> and, at each other. Well, the, yeah, right. Like the like the football fans. <laughs> but uh, I, I, Over my head, but I guess that happened. Yeah. No, a famous game where the fans in Philadelphia are like throwing batteries on the field at, <laughs> at the opposing team. I think there's another one where they're throwing snowballs at Santa. Right. <laughs> Just like <laughs> pelting Santa with snowballs. Yeah. Brotherly love. So these two guys, they start escalating, almost like your restaurant scene, Jason. Uh-huh. They're like getting louder and more in each other's face and i'm like kind of clearing back waiting for an mma fight to break out <laughs> and uh the only thing that saved uh or well, maybe i shouldn't say saved because it would have been interesting i guess to see this but the most mammoth policeman i've ever seen just kind of like steps out of a doorway this guy was like six foot eight and and did not look thin and tall i mean he was just like a huge mountain of a man and he just walks up behind one of the guys puts his hands on his hips and the two guys kind of look, they eyeball, and they're like, they just walked away. They just went separate <laughs> ways. I was like, what a what a great uh, regulation of that fight. Yeah. that's Yeah, that's interesting that, that you bring that up. The reason I, I was thinking about this or wanted to bring it up was because that whole dynamic that happened with my family made me think about positive feedback loops. Uh-huh, yeah. You guys familiar with that concept? Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about positive feedback loops as one of the hidden drivers uh, for us to explore in this season of Crazy Town. You know, with hidden drivers this season, we're we're just talking about things that may be below the radar factors, drivers that are pushing us into Crazy Town, you know, where we're consuming too much. Too many of us are consuming too many things, and we're not solving our problems in, mm-hmm. in a rational way. Yeah. yeah, and it feels like there's this collective action problem, like the restaurant example, where you know, no one planned to just talk louder. It just emerged because you had to, and then they, and then you had to. And right. so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
it can be kind of crazy making and that you lose control in a sense. It runs away from you. Well, the three of us have done some studying and research in systems dynamics and in, in the idea of feedback loops. I'm wondering for those listening, if we could just step it back a bit and, and kind of define what we're talking about here with like positive feedback loops. and Yeah, it's... It, it, I think one of the challenges is that the language is a little confusing. Terminology is a little confusing, right? So I think a lot of people, when they think about a positive feedback loop, they think about something that has a positive outcome, right? right? And actually, it's a happy feedback right. loop. Right. And a negative feedback loop is something that has a negative oh, outcome. It's, sad. it's actually not that. So no. a positive feedback loop is something that is self-reinforcing. Right. So you have a situation where there's a factor that gets amplified and that leads to another factor getting amplified. Yeah, know? like Jason's megaphone. Exactly. Or I'll punch you and you're going to punch me back harder. Yeah, exactly. punch me back with a baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> so the positive feedback loop is also known as a self-reinforcing feedback. And a negative feedback loop is a self-regulating, right? So you think about a positive feedback loop, it's amplifying, it's making something bigger, it's extending it, whether that thing is a positive thing or a negative thing. That's a positive feedback loop. <laughs> Whether it's positive in the sense of we think of it as good. Good, okay. right. Good or bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's just, why don't we give some examples then of the negative feedback loop? Because we gave some good examples of positive feedback loops. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the easiest one that I think gets brought up when you're looking into systems and how they work is a thermostat. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're heating your house, you set the thermostat to... Uh, well, I guess this I is, always do 88 degrees. I was going to say, yeah. this is luxury America. We set it to, yeah, uh, a, a nice balmy 80 or no. So you set it to whatever. As the temperature warms up, there's a device in there that's recognizing it. And it says, okay, turn off the heat when it gets to a certain level. So that's one of the regulating. And then, and then if it drops too low, it'll turn it back on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's pretty cool. There's some really interesting stuff related to like steam engines so the oh uh, wow take us back take Mr. It, yes. steampunk because if you think <laughs> of the uh they're called governors right they, they're they hello sp- governor <laughs> like that <laughs> right but it's you, a little man in a top a hat guy. with a cane <laughs> <laughs> but basically when you have you know you could get a runaway combustion of these engines where the engine just if you open up the throttle it, more more fuel, more air, and they just start. The explosion gets bigger and bigger. So how do you keep it damped down? Well, of course, as steam engines go, they start spinning, right? They mechanical energy, and the, and these governors, what they did, they had this ingenious mechanism where they actually had weighted balls. They had they had like balls on hinges. And Don't was, make a joke here, Rob. <laughs> I, okay, I, I'm, I no, know when, no I know comments. when to be quiet. Okay, <laughs> but these 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 things would be spinning, and as they spin, Fun, they would rise. And of course, as things were rise, as the balls would kind of rise up, the force of gravity would push them down harder, proportional to their, their angle. So that kind of kept these valves from opening too far and regulated the injection of fuel and air into the engine. So uh, again, another way of a negative loop on the throttle. Some people actually wish that the governor they elected was a ball on a hinge <laughs> instead of the the actual politician. But yeah, that's 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 neither here nor there. Uh, you know, these are really good examples, and we could we can provide a lot more. And I'm I'm sure later we'll we'll talk about some other examples. But if, for listeners, if you're interested, there's an entire field that is devoted to the idea of systems and how they're regulated and it includes both mechanical machinery type stuff and biological you know living organisms and that's called cybernetics so if you if you want to do the deep dive uh, yeah and they apply that even to like physiology so they say cybernetics can apply to the biological systems where you know your heart rate is regulated there's all these feedback loops that they go into that Yeah. yeah i think it's just important to recognize that we have a lot of these feedback loops, negative and positive ones, in nature and biological systems, but we've also incorporated them a lot into mechanical systems that we've created. We've also done it with human behavior. So there's things like if we're talking again about negative feedback loops or ones that are around, you know, regulating, um, there are things that have been done in terms of adjusting behavior with very small methods. So an example of that might be, you guys have been you know, driving down a road and there's a sign that 
tells you what your speed is. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I can't drive 55, though. No. I can't drive 55. Oh, so you just ignore it, right? Yeah. Well, the reason that those things are up is that they actually are really good at, at tamping down people's speeds. Yeah. Right? Oh, so it's regulating. Wait a second. That's just the opposite for you? Yeah, I thought those things were making fun of how slow <laughs> I was going. So I just always jam the accelerator when I see that. So. You're the outlier. <laughs> I, I think they've done studies and they found that something like... 15%, you know, reduce their speed to below. And, and it actually has a lasting impact. Yeah. Not just they go by that sign and they're like, floor it now. You yeah. know, um, no, I, I agree. They actually are really effective. In fact, now that you can get all the navigation from your phone on a screen in a car, often it puts the speed limit up there. And that's a, a, a it always makes me kind of, oh, okay, I, I better stick to that. Yeah. My wife is much better at paying attention to those. She always, I'm driving with her, and she's like, you know, it's 35 here, right? I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So she's like a double double regulator. Double, double yeah. regulator. I'm sure that's what she wants to be known that's, as. That's why Jason calls his wife governor. <laughs> Hello, governor. <laughs> Every time she gets in the car with you. <laughs> um, well, so those are negative feedback loops. Uh, I, I want to talk about positive feedback loops. Yeah, I'm wondering, since you're bringing it up as a hidden driver, I think it'd be fun to riff on, uh, let, let, let's see if we can name and, and describe a whole bunch of these things. Sure. Well, let's start with a simple one that, uh, that back in the days when there actually was an interest rate that was above zero, right. that you know, <laughs> actually people could relate to, and that is, you know, if you put money in a savings account, and it's accruing interest of some kind, right? Then you have more money. And then you invest you invest more of that money, you yeah. know, you get more interest, right? Yeah. So it just it just builds on itself. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, me and my friend, we used to think about like what do you want to be when you grow up? And our answer was, well, if we can somehow get a million dollars and then we just put it in a bank and we'll be interest collectors. Right. Yeah. You know, like that was our that was our grand scheme. But for actually what you're yeah. pointing to is is a, a a major dynamic in growing inequality, yeah. you know, in the world where people who have capital are able to invest it and that money just keeps growing. And if you don't have anything to invest to begin with, you just never, you know, never get ahead. So yeah. that, that gap keeps, or, keeps or if you're, if you're late to the game, right? Like, let's say you do like Jason's route and you go get a PhD where you're not earning anything for Idiot. half of your life. <laughs> And then you got to start investing when you're already an old man. Yeah. Right. Well, that's why you got into the drug trade. You know, you got to take more risks. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. just, yeah, let me know what you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, that, that's a good classic example. But I want to go back to the, the, the can of worms that you opened at the beginning, which is more uh, the way people tend to escalate each mm. other in a positive feedback loop. And since I'm in the the kind of the pop culture sphere in this podcast let let's talk about sports all right mm. my favorite positive feedback loop is when if you if you're watching a baseball game it's the it's sorry jason i know you're a fan but and you too a share it, it, it to me it's the most boring sport there is really uh <laughs> most boring well, you to, say it's more boring than the, golf. No, because golf is not a sport. Oh, We've already established uh, this. More boring than soccer. Oh, we, oh soccer is awesome. Don't even make... Oh, man. I, I knew you know I many now we're escalating. <laughs> this is a positive feedback. Do you know how many listeners we just lost when you insulted golf? <laughs> I, um, yeah. yeah. Three. I think yeah, I know. three. <laughs> really? We lost three. Any? Uh, so, okay. So, but this is when baseball actually gets exciting. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, you're sitting there watching a game and some... Some awesome hitter just cranks a home run, which is yeah. obviously the most uh, highlight. Yeah, like that's a highlight. But then he he does some display, like yes. flips his bat the wrong way, or sure. like pounds his chest as he and and slowly circles the bases. Right. Yeah, so you rubs know, it in. He's basically yeah, like like saying uh, you know I, I just crushed your team. So the next time that guy comes up, the pitcher is like. Well, this will not stand. Right. So the pitcher throws this like really high and tight fastball and knocks the guy down. Then the next es escalation is that guy gets up and stares down the pitcher, points at him, you know, kind of making faces. So then the pitcher just hits him. Yeah. Okay. And then and then the guy like thinks about charging the mound, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He mm. just goes to first base. But the next inning. For revenge, the pitcher on the other team being some dude, right. and so it, it, it at that point it's too late. He just charges the mound, yeah. 
bench empties, this bench empties. Yeah. It's just, just And we positive. have an ESPM highlight reel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and, the best part of baseball right there. But it's a total positive feedback loop. Yeah. And, and then you start getting the fans going after each other in the stands. Yeah. And then it like breaks out. There's actually civil war happening. There, right. there are people like <laughs> rushing out of Boston and New York. They're meeting somewhere halfway. Oh, and, uh, you better hope it's not in Philadelphia. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. well, my most <laughs> They'll be ready with the batteries. <laughs> my most memorable baseball experience actually has to do with one of these things where Reggie Smith playing for the Dodgers was in Candlestick Park, which is a giant Wait, old stadium. Reggie Smith, I don't remember this. Is in this... 1981, he okay, was a that's, famous guy. That's a he long hit, time ago. He had over 300 homers in his career. But Reggie Smith is getting heckled by a Giants fan above the, the Dodgers dugout. And I was just behind there. And I'm watching this happen. And Reggie Smith is looking up and pointing at him. And I can tell there's something going on. By like inning seven, Reggie Smith goes up into the stands and starts beating up on the guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can look it up. It's on. It's on the Wikipedia page yeah. about Reggie Smith. Po- positive feedback. Positive loop. feedback loop. It's awesome. It's a perfect was, example of how positive yeah. feedback loops can yeah. actually not be positive. I don't know. Like in your face beat by a baseball. Depends player. how obnoxious that fan was. Well, it's not positive for him. He got. A, he was arrested. Yeah, not good. <laughs> well, you know, positive feedback loops. Another good example of how they can be both positive and negative in consequence has to do with, an uh, example I like to think about is soil, soil dynamics. So you can degrade soil. So you can make soil worse. Like let's say you, you put in a housing development, Rob, and you, and you decide you're going to strip off all the topsoil. As I normally do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you strip all the topsoil because you're going to sell the topsoil. Yeah. And so you just leave this sort of like lifeless subsoil. And then the, 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 the homeowner comes in and tries to put a garden in and their plants are less like, ah, ah, ah. So, <laughs> is that what plants do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the, that for our listeners is the sound of a plant not growing, right? And so, <laughs> arr, arr. and so the plants can't grow, and so the rain starts coming in and hitting the soil and making mud piles, and the soil gets more compacted. It just it gets worse and worse because you've you've destroyed that soil fertility, and now it's it it can't recover easily, right? Yeah. So. That's a positive feedback loop, but obviously that's not desirable, except you made a lot of money as a developer. Oh, yeah, it's totally soil. desirable there after I scraped that soil and sold yeah. it. Well, it just doesn't matter to you any, at that point. But you you could actually run that, like I think this is where you're getting to, you could run that in reverse, right? Like sure. you could have soil regeneration if you're, I mean, that's a lot of what, uh, you know, you're, you're all about in your career as a farmer, right? Is trying totally. to build healthy soil. Yeah, so instead, what let's say you you put a bunch of compost onto that degraded soil, suddenly it can grow plants really well. And then the next thing you know, that's a self-reinforcing positive feedback that is regenerating a good, healthy soil profile. You remember our listener, Don, who told us to play our podcast over his farm field? (laughs) So he's basically equating our uh, our podcast to to compost. Yeah. 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 That's great. Uh, okay. Well, while we're in the realm of nature, I want to point out a, a positive feedback loop that, that I became kind of intimately aware of when I was working in the desert southwest. I was with the Fish and Wildlife Service, and most of the wildlife refuges have to do with water. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of a historical link with, with ducks, waterfowl, and, and so a lot of your national wildlife refuges are in these low-lying places. So in the desert southwest, if you go like in places along the Rio Grande or the Colorado River, you'll you'll find refuges, and they're all covered with tamarisk, oh, yeah. uh, with with salt cedar is yeah. another name for it. But it's a it's an invasive species that was brought over to try to stabilize riverbanks. A lot of those rivers in the desert they 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 have low flow most of the year, but during the snow melt season, mm-hmm. you have these huge pulses of, of water that come in. Yeah. And so what the tamarisk does, once you establish it, they have these huge tap roots that go way down and they suck up all the water. And then basically no other plants can reach the water table. So right. they, they alter the habitat in a way that then makes it more ready for other tamarisk to come in and colonize so it, it just keeps adding more and more of this this invasive species and you can't yeah. really do anything about it other than if you have a way to to change back to the native flood regime but, but then right. the banks of the river are totally solid right because there's no water anymore <laughs> well it, it's insane like if you see a, a 
tamarisk gallery forest. Like you can't get through it. No, it's it's so thick. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's native to like Central Asia. Iran has a huge amount. And, and so, yeah, it's fascinating. And of course, there's no negative feedback for tamarisk growth because they don't have the insects and stuff that normally would, would chew on them, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah, the only time I've seen it really get controlled other than with herbicides is when you can have natural flooding conditions because they don't, they don't really like to be flooded the same way that mm. cottonwood willow native habitat does. Like this big pulse will come through, clean everything out, and then the cottonwood willow can, can reestablish. But, so, well... Off topic, but why don't we just pour Roundup? Like, in, uh... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Something about seems like uh, the right solution. Something about me. chemicals dumped in in water just, areas. Just yeah. trust me, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so, still on topic of nature and natural systems, probably a bunch of our listeners are like, talk about climate. There's so <laughs> many. Come on. Yeah. So, speaking of climate systems, there are a bunch of positive feedback loops that are happening that are amplifying our climate becoming destabilized you know so the the one that i think people often hear about is the albedo effect you know mm-hmm. so that's where basically when you have a war- warming temperatures will melt ice and snow in in cold regions that ice and snow is reflecting a lot of sunlight back off in, in t- into the atmosphere when that's gone it's it's warming temperatures so you actually start getting oceans to be exposed that that warms the temperature even more that melts more of that snow and ice you know just keeps amplifying right yeah yeah you have a polar ice cap that shrinks and then next season it shrinks more because it the yep. ocean absorbs right. more heat yeah. or, or the permafrost starts to thaw and so then you get this like these bacteria start chewing on the the now unfrozen biomass and it releases methane because it's kind of an anaerobic condition where it's really wet still mm-hmm. so and of course methane's a greenhouse gas there's another amplifying effect yeah and you get that in the ocean too like these as as they warm you get methane bubbling up from the depths and yeah you have it with drought warmer temperatures drying out places vegetation disappearing that that feeds to that climate being warmer and drier again I mean, it just keeps keeps escalating so th- there's a lot of this happening with climate systems and and there's a lot of concern about some of these becoming runaway yeah. right and uh and we can't influence them can't control them well speaking of runaway runaway implies things just happen really fast and go out of control yeah and that's what happens when you get like explosions right if you ever like light a firecracker, the fuse starts a chemical reaction at one end and it just like ripples through and the the burning of the fuel of one, on one side ignites the fuel as you go through it. And it happens so fast, it's an explosion. Same thing with like uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear fuel in reactors. They, they can run away. It's a, these chain reactions, you know. Those are all positive yeah. feedback loops that God, are just I, super quick. I read that book, Chernobyl, which then got made into an HBO series. That is some harrowing stuff, mm-hmm. I got to say. But yeah, it talks a lot about the kind of runaway reaction. And, and, and there's, uh, you know, back to human, human behavior and human systems, there's a lot of runaway stuff that happens in terms of human behavior. You think about asset bubbles or on the flip side, runs on banks, right? Mm-hmm. So a stock gets hyped, people start buying it up. You know, other people are like, oh, I got to get in on this thing. They buy it too. That just keeps feeding on itself. The reverse happens, obviously when you get these massive downturns in the stock market or people start worrying about the safety of their money in the bank, you know, everyone runs to get their money out of the bank. Yeah. That, that just feeds on itself. It's like your, uh, that shoebox full of Bitcoins that you've got in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be telling people where it is, man. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many good examples of positive feedback loops. I, Sometimes I think that if you don't have a, a governor or you don't have some kind of regulation or negative feedback loop in place, you can still get the same results that happen in a positive feedback loop. I I know we've talked about my favorite 
uh, Guinness Book yeah. of Records entry on on Robert Wadlow, the tallest yeah. human who ever lived. Eight foot eleven, baby. Eight foot eleven. I know. I just love the idea of him like slam dunking basketballs without even stretching his arm out all the way. You know, <laughs> like like somehow if 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 he were alive today and were healthy, he would just stand somewhere near the basket and just score at will. It would be it would be yeah. awesome. And the crazy thing about him is that. He was, still, I think, still growing when he died. Yeah, yeah. So he he had no regulation uh, in his pituitary gland of human growth hormone and just just kept growing. So I mean, I, it really doesn't matter what kind of system you look at. The feedback loops are really important in managing. Right. In what his happens. case, he had no feedback yeah. loop at all. Right. It was an open system. Yeah. Right. So so there's nothing controlling. And thank God our our bodies know how to do that. Yeah. All the time, there's feedback loops happening within our bodies that keep us in, you know, in homeostasis. Right. Well, so the reason I want to bring up positive feedback loops, you know, in the context of Crazy Town is that we talked about it with like climate change, for example. Obviously, it's something that people think about in that context in terms of natural systems. But, but I think it's also important to think about it in terms of like human systems and the, the decisions that we're making that have brought us to this place and maybe influence how we get out of it or if we get out of it, right? So maybe an obvious one, and we've talked about this a little bit already, is thinking about political polarization. Okay. So if you think about this dynamic where, and we talked about this a little bit in, in previous episodes, like the conspiracy theory one, where people are only listening to certain information from certain people that they trust, right? Yeah. Because we have a, a politically divided, culturally divided society, right. you know, that, that creates more extremes. They take on more extreme positions or they see the other as like the enemy. Yeah. That makes that other, you know, we're talking about people fighting. That makes the kind of the other side amp up their rhetoric, yeah. amp up their views. Great example. Uh, yeah. And, it's, and it gets into a situation where it becomes about the fight. Right. You know what I mean? And, right. and more and more difficult to think about how to regulate, moderate, compromise, mm-hmm. you know, in a situation like that. Again, we need a governor. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need a functioning governor. Yeah. Well, I look at it also in the context of our entire, what, what's called built environment, you know, all the infrastructure that's already out there that we've invested in. And the notion there is that our past investment really then determines what kind of levels of consumption we have to have today to get by. So if we've already invested in sort of freeway systems and suburban sprawl and giant houses with poor insulation, it's very hard for us to actually curtail our energy use and for society as a whole to curtail its necessary maintenance costs even. So you just, you've locked yourself in, in other words, to the levels of energy and resource consumption going forward. Yeah. And so that's sort of like a self-reinforcing dynamic. You, you, and then all these next decisions you make are to double down on that. So I look at like the, the infrastructure plan of, you know, the Democrats right now that they're working on. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is doubling down on, you know, repairing all the stupid things we've already <laughs> built. Yeah. Right now. Well, you, you can see that. I mean, like if you have a, a town that's built around roads and driving and trucking products from here to there, it's not like the next town over can decide that it wants a <laughs> yeah. monorail or a, or a blimp network for its transportation system, right? I mean, right. it's just not going to fly if the whole matrix of the country is Yeah, is to roads. be connected and, and, and to take... You know, everyone's got to have the same loading docks, you know, for trucks. If you want to be a, a business that has a warehouse, you know, you're locked into like accepting a certain way of shipping and receiving. And so all these things then interlock, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's that's a pretty cool point that you started here, share with the idea that maybe positive feedback loops are behind a lot of things. Like I was thinking about the episode we recorded on specialization and, and complexity yeah. mm-hmm. and how we're becoming more and more specialized. Well, that wording right there, more and more, mm-hmm. can kind of clue you in. There's a positive feedback loop there. Like, think about it. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about how you can obviously get paid more if you're some kind of specialist in the economy that's in high demand. Well, if 
if that's the case, then you you kind of see universities start having more courses for specialization, mm-hmm. and you get uh, as you come out of that that specialized education and get your specialized job. Now you're dependent on other specialists to come into your life because you don't know how to do a damn thing. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, oh, completely. So it just yeah. uh, it all builds on itself, and, right? And you've got a another classic positive feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. The world is so complicated now, so complex, as we said that. In order to get by, you need to hire all these other specialists so that right. you can even like be stay legal. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it reminds me of another you know another episode that we had, another hidden driver we were talking about with you know when we talked about cognitive biases, both what you were saying, Jason, in terms of like the built infrastructure investments there, and what you're just talking about with specialization and complexity. It's all that sunk cost. Yeah, sunk right? cost bias, right. Um, and the fact that 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 plays into it, but yeah, it's it's what you said, Rob. Uh, the reason I want to bring this up is because I I would posit that maybe positive feedback loops are a hidden driver of a lot of the other hidden drivers that we've been talking about. It's like hidden driver squared. Yeah, it's the <laughs> meta hidden driver. Wow, deep thought. Yeah, but uh, a friend of ours, Beth Solomon, who who runs a group called Climate Interactive, she was a think a student or maybe a proje of of Danella Meadows who we've talked we've talked Hero, about yeah. Danella Meadows um, <laughs> or, who's just a great educator about systems thinking and and Beth has put together kind of this little online course to help people think more in systems when it comes to thinking about climate and and she said something great which I thought was really important that is that reinforcing feedback right so positive feedback loops uh, reinforcing feedback on its own is neither good nor bad, but it is a force for change. Reinforcing feedback can take system to new modes of behavior. And and so I think it's important to recognize that there's a lot of bad outcomes that come from positive feedback loops or reinforcing feedback mm-hmm. in these systems, but it doesn't have to be right. that way. Right. We could use it for good purposes as well. And especially when it comes to thinking about human, you know, our behavior and right. and trying to incentivize, incentivize pro-social behavior versus behavior that sets us on this course towards crazy town. Right. Well, I think it's really interesting when, when I, we started this conversation, one of the things that I came to realize, you know, Jason, you and I were talking about how positive feedback loops, if they run for a long time, they it tends to end badly. Yeah. You know, some something bad happens that maybe even at some point you get out of the positive feedback loop because something big and bad enough happened to put an end to it. Right. But it it seems like there's this turning point and you really need to be aware of it because like you're saying, Asher, a, a feedback loop, a positive one, can have a good result. But if you let it keep running, that result tends to tends to turn sour. So I don't know, like I think about the the vaccination for COVID, for mm-hmm. example, you, you get a shot, and your body starts, you know, making its uh, doing all of its chemical biological reactions. And it you've kicked off a process, it's you've started something going and you go get a, a second a booster shot. And it it's a positive reinforcement, it makes your body go to the next level. And so that's a good thing. But it's not like you want to get 78 booster shots and, you know, it'll probably overwhelm you and uh, cause a mess or either that or be totally ineffective. Right, right. So I don't know. There's there's something, some kind of wisdom in here about, you know, when to let a positive feedback run and but figure out when you might want to intervene to to stop the eventual negative uh i don't want to use positive negative to stop the eventual bad thing unwanted outcomes yeah Yeah. now there's some really interesting dynamics at play potentially and stories we can keep going on there there was a recent study that i find kind of interesting because it it kind of it kind of has good examples of all this stuff we're talking about where you know you do something you want to do something good so the example they say is like we want to get renewable energy scaled and a great place to scale renewable energy is in deserts because we can put 
PV panels in deserts at just massive scales because no one's living there and land is cheap, you know, and we're we're not a lot of up, sunshine. Yeah, we're not taking up farmland. We and, should put them on Tatooine where Luke Skywalker lives. I think that the whole place. You know? I think Bezos is working on that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, folks were modeling. Well, what if we just kept building out PV panels in the Sahara Desert? Now I think there's a lot of problems to this with sand covering them and the fact these don't last forever and all the embedded energy of steel and concrete it gets a little stop being such a realist it gets a little nutty to be (laughs) honest with you but there's an interesting story like let's imagine pretend that nothing i normally care about is valid but you do care about something else like you care about the climate right and that's why you're doing this so the study looked at like if you put so many solar panels in the desert, you change the albedo of the desert. And you talked about albedo yeah. earlier in the context of you melt glaciers or snow caps of, of the Arctic, and suddenly you change the albedo, where now Now it doesn't want to have sex anymore. <laughs> Not libido. Like, I know you're worried about that. You're getting kind of, you're aging. But no, this is albedo, and uh, it's reflectance. So what happens is that solar panels are dark, the desert tends to be light. Mm-hmm. So you, you add up to, tw- if you add 20% of the surface area of the Sahara, if you cover it with you solar, cover panels. solar panels, you change the albedo so much that you're, you change then the temperature of the atmosphere above the desert and warm air rises. And when warm air rises, it draws in cold marine air, which is full of moisture. So suddenly what happens is you start getting a rainfall regime in the Sahara. Well, once you do that, you well, start... Well, that kind of sucks for getting solar panels. I know, yeah, now you start much. shading them, right? Yeah, yeah but that's but, great for, uh, you know, now we've just got a, a beautiful vegetated desert. Yes, so now you can actually create vegetation in the Sahara, which there used... The Sahara, 5,000 awesome. 5, yeah. years ago, Sahara had lakes and forests and everything, okay? But here's the key. The problem becomes the knock-on effects of what happens in the Amazon. The Amazon apparently goes bye-bye when you do that because it relies on dust from the Sahara Mm. carrying across the ocean, seeding clouds, and also fertilizing the Amazon basin. So you destroy the Amazon by trying to create solar panels in the desert to a certain threshold. Uh, Now, that's assuming we haven't already bulldozed it completely anyway or or slash and burned it. That's that's an argument for why we should just cut down all the trees right now. Just do it. Just get get ahead of the curve. No, I think that I, I think that's a really important point, which is to recognize these system dynamics that happen mm-hmm. that may be invisible to us, the consequences we don't necessarily see. But if you think in systems and you start thinking about the different inputs and the dynamics interactivity between them, you might say, "Oh my God, if we do this thing, we we up this." you know, factor over here that creates this cascading effect, you know, where you might get this positive feedback loop that could end up generating an outcome that is the opposite of what you had intended. Right. 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 And so, so I think it's, it's important to recognize this sort of invisible force of these positive feedback loops and also think carefully when we're trying to intervene to what, as you had said, Rob, to use those dynamics in uh, good ways. I'm trying not to use the word positive in right. good ways, but be very careful about going too far in a sense. So this is what I just heard you say: Don't say a to some guy in Philadelphia on the street. The soccer sucks <laughs> as a sport, right? Are you coming over here? You want yeah. to make something? Thanks, guys, for reducing yeah. it to Come nothing. On. You bring hey. it. You, uh, Put the baseball bat down. All right? <laughs> all right, I'm going to take my dog. I'm turning on you. this off, and I'm leaving. <laughs> Stay tuned for our George Costanza Memorial Do the Opposite segment, where we discuss things we can do to get the hell out of crazy town. You don't have to just listen to the three of us blather on anymore. We've actually invited someone intelligent on the program to provide inspiration. Hey guys, I got a short and sweet review that I want to share with you this week. This comes in from Jeff, who says about our podcast, These are the environmental conversations we need to be having. A pure dose of reality. Excellent. Well, like a dose of what? (laughs) 
Well, it's better than a dose Dark of methamphetamines. Uh, okay. It's probably better than a dose of your own medicine. No, sorry, that's taste of your own medicine. I think, I mean, reality dosing, I think, I think that's a good term. Well, we're uh, reality dosers. Sweet, yes. Well, I just want to say thanks to Jeff and please anyone else out there that has any liking for this show. Get out there on iTunes or wherever you're, you can please, rate and review. Please, yeah. we like it when people like us. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> So if we're going to be like our good buddy, George Costanza, and do the opposite, the way I think about this is that we need to change the way we see the world as we walk through it. So you think about, uh, at least in my case, I think very simply about things or tend to like, oh, there's there's something over there. This causes that kind of end of story. There's There's no real understanding that there's a system over there. Like if I'm looking at a forest, it functions as a system. There's feedback loops, both negative and positive, that affect it. And to really understand what's going on, I need to understand what those those feedback loops are. Now, I'm, I'm kind of saying that I, I don't tend to think that way very well. And I've been reading and trying to learn about this kind of thinking for a while. And On your own, because it's not like you're taught this in school. Yeah, right? it, yeah. That, that's a, one of the points. That you never see it, unless you're in that field we talked about, cybernetics, or you're a systems engineer. Or an ecologist. Ecologist, maybe. yeah. Ecology, yeah. I, in fact, I think that's why so many ecologists, when they delve into economics, that's the main fundamental flaw that they yeah. expose. It's like economists aren't thinking in systems. They're, they're thinking very linearly. So to do the opposite, we really need to kind of take on that self-study and learn to see the world in systems and learn to understand where those those feedback loops are. And a couple of resources that are useful, probably the most famous would be Donella Meadows' book, uh, which is called Thinking in Systems, a Primer. And I've read it. it. It takes some effort because she talks about how to diagram out a system. And it's not like super intuitive. I mean, the book's well-written, of course, and, and has good lessons, but, uh, but you'll, have to, you'll have to work at it. Um, another one, share you already mentioned was a course uh, at Climate Interactive called Climate Leader, and it's got a, a, a major kind of systems recognition component, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so yeah. I think that's the main first step of doing the opposite is try to see the world in systems and recognize what's happening. Yeah, when I when I see the world in systems, I see these runaway positive feedback loops that scare me, right? They cuz they all they 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 go on but they end up ending and it they don't they might end very badly. So we talked about that all that from the climate system and of course, economic growth as a process and our built environment and our dependency on just getting more and more resources. So I I the you know, analogy I think about is figuring out a way to sort of slow down that runaway or stop that runaway feedback loop. And we do this in like nuclear power reactors where you have, you can have a runaway reaction that leads to a meltdown. But to prevent that, you take this, these control rods, they're called, and they, they're these substances that absorb neutrons. So the neutron reaction doesn't just go so fast that it causes a blow up or meltdown. And I kind of feel like we need to figure out how to intervene in our own socioeconomic systems in ways that prevent sort of the, the runaway positive feedback Can we problem. just jam a control rod into the economy? Yes, we need to that? jam control rods. I, I could think of a few people I'd want to ram a control <laughs> rod into. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't want to know what that means exactly. <laughs> it would be kind of cool if you had a universal... Yeah control rod that could stop any positive yeah. feedback loop. Like, oh, need one over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's designing for that. It's also maybe taking a precautionary principle. You were talking about that with uh, solar panels in, in the Sahara Desert. Yeah. Just not to say don't do anything at all. It's just thinking through the system dynamics and saying, well, maybe we should think about doing this differently or maybe these things we shouldn't do. A lot of people talk about that with geoengineering. Right. Right? Like, 
talking about taking risks without really understanding the system dynamics. Yeah. You could get a runaway positive feedback loop that we had no idea would happen. Right. Really no good example of why you want to see the world in systems rather than, oh, here here's a problem. Just throw some some particles in the air yeah, and that'll let's, let's solve throw it. iron in the air. Overpopulation. Let's just shoot people into space. Right. <laughs> And and thinking about what Beth was talking about with with system dynamics and positive feedback loops, you know, when she said that reinforcing feedback can take systems to new modes of behavior, I think that's really true. And so there's another way I think we could think about doing the opposite and and for all, all of us to engage with this dynamic of positive feedback loops, and that is modeling behavior and trying to, in a sense, create a dynamic where it kind of cascades and, and builds. and It's like a desirable positive feedback loop right. that changes the system in a way you want rather than I was right. giving examples of ways we don't want. Yeah, and, and a, a small example of that, but it was really meaningful to me is, you know, years ago when my wife and I bought our first home, uh, it had a little lawn in the front and uh, we were on a little suburban street Wow, and, how American. Yeah, I felt so American. <laughs> I had a flag out and everything. Oh. And all our neighbors had lawns too. And we decided, you know, my wife was a school garden teacher. We we ripped out the, the lawn in the front and planted native plants. And it was really interesting to see. It wasn't necessarily our intention to begin with, but we started, you know, we had neighbors asking us about it. And again, it was one of those situations where things, it was a positive feedback loop in the sense that we were also going through drought. Mm, right. And right. so people were recognizing, like, can't use so much water. You know, lawns are dying out. They see an example of another lawn that was used very little water. So other neighbors started ripping out their lawns and planting. And, and the more neighbors did it, the more neighbors right, did it. You right. know? So it, it, it got to the point where more than half, I would say, maybe considerably more than half of our neighbors on our block had ripped out their, their lawns and had, had put in these beautiful No gardens. control rod needed there, baby. Nope. I don't know, though. That makes me think you're a communist or something. Individual initiative, but in, in, a, in a good viral If I was spread. a communist, I would have forced everyone yeah. off of their property, sent them somewhere else. Yeah, and then know, demanded that they... Industrial... They, anybody yeah. that doesn't push a lawnmower every Sunday has got to be a <laughs> communist. That's okay. That's me. You got me. Elizabeth Sawin is a co-founder and co-director of Climate Interactive, an independent nonprofit think tank that employs a long tradition of system dynamics modeling to create simulations and insights that help people see connections, play out scenarios, and see what works to address climate change, inequity, and related issues like energy, health, and food. She's also an expert on systems thinking, going back to her early days working with the late Danella Meadows, which is really why I wanted to invite you to talk with us today. Beth. Thanks for joining us in Crazy Town. Hey, I'm happy to be here. So on this season of the podcast, we're talking about hidden drivers, hidden drivers that are moving us to the precipice of environmental and social breakdown, or ones that are keeping us from acting collectively in ways that actually help. In this episode, Rob, Jason, and I talked about positive feedback loops, or what sometimes people call reinforcing feedback, that serves in some ways like a hidden driver behind many of the other hidden drivers that we've We've talked about on the on the podcast. So I wanted to talk to you because you teach systems thinking. It's something that I've found particularly difficult to know how to help people in layman terms uh, employ. And, and I know you've done a lot of work on that. And you've actually developed an online course called The Climate Leader, which we'll link to in the show notes, where you talk about positive feedback loops or reinforcing feedback. So I just want to start by asking kind of an open-ended question, which is, for our listeners who are starting to think more about the role that reinforcing feedback loops or positive feedback loops play in kind of the pickle that we're in, are there suggestions that you have to help them be better systems thinkers or, or kind of recognize those dynamics more? Yeah, great question. I mean, in all the issues that we face, reinforcing feedback shows up in at least two ways, right? On the one hand, like like you're saying, in terms of drivers. So 
reinforcing feedback processes where change feeds upon itself and a little change leads to more change in the same direction. Mm -hmm. You know, we recognize that, say, in economic growth, in the physical capital of the global economy, which grows exponentially by design, right? And we know that from that comes greenhouse gas emissions and water withdrawals from aquifers and pressure on forests and all the rest of it. So Mm -hmm. the problems that we're facing are growing exponentially. That means they're growing by reinforcing feedback. And probably in the prior part of your show, you talked about how that can fool our intuition. Was that something that you went into? No, not not so much, actually. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Well, my teacher, you mentioned Danella Meadows, and she and my other systems thinking teachers were really strong and clear on this, that any process where things double, um, tends to have a behavior, sometimes it's called the hockey stick, right? If you were to Mm -hmm. graph it, it looks like very, very slow change and then suddenly an explosion, right? right? And if you're not looking for the signature of reinforcing feedback, you don't notice how dangerous things are until, you know, the very last doubling, which pushes something critical over a limit or over a threshold. Mm -hmm. And so part of why our economic and political systems are so ineffective at responding to our problems is that they're not always grappling with just that mathematics of exponential growth. Yeah. The pandemic, I feel like, helped people understand the dynamic of exponential growth a little bit. Like in the early days, I remember seeing lots of people commenting on sort of the dynamic of the spread. Yeah, right. And we learned, we learned flatten the curve. We learned that you have to act in a way that seems disproportionate to where you are at the moment, right? Like Mm -hmm. the best public health response looks like an overreaction to the current situation. And that's because the public health officials are totally clear about exponential growth. And they know that in one more doubling, which with, with COVID is two weeks or 14 days or so, a system that's working fine now could be overwhelmed. Well, it's the exact same thing for climate change, right? An emergency response capacity that's working okay now in one more doubling could be overwhelmed. Right. And and the challenge is our coping capacities don't grow exponentially, right? The number of doctors and hospital beds doesn't double, even while the number of patients is doubling. You know, the amount of an economy available to build seawalls doesn't grow exponentially just because the threat might be growing exponentially. Yeah, although with, I mean, we can have a whole conversation about money. Money is the one area where it feels like, uh, and we're seeing now with this with sort of government policy, that you could decide that you're going to spend a lot of money. It, it turns out that it's it's actually doing things in the real world, which can't grow exponentially. But in terms of the money supply, you could do that pretty quickly. Yeah, but I would draw people's attention to coping capacity, right. which has other limits be, uh, besides money. It has how fast can you train people? How can you quickly can you learn and adapt? And right. money maybe can help some of that, but not all of it. So you're just talking about how it's kind of like difficult to recognize these dynamics until you hit that point where the, the hockey stick it becomes clearly visible, which in some ways is almost like too late in a, in a dynamic, right? Yeah. Yep. And here's a sort of ironic thing, which is if you flip that, the same type of mathematics is there for our social movements, right? Which are mm-hmm. also growing via reinforcing feedback. Anytime one person goes to a protest and, or a educational event and has a change of heart and they bring two friends back, that's feeding an exponential growth process, right? And so that's going to have the same math, which is going to look like very, very slow change, flat, 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 nothing happening, explosion of, of numbers and power and people who are persuaded. And so what happens as problems grow exponentially, we sort of um, uh, react too late, or that's the danger. When our solutions are growing exponentially, the danger is we give up too early, Right? Mm-hmm. We don't understand that we're actually in the flat part of exponential growth. And really what we need to do, what's called for is just to keep going, to keep feeding those cycles because the potential for that explosion of new thinking or newly engaged people could be right around the next doubling. Yeah, I want to unpack that a little bit. So just getting back to the pandemic and you're talking about people in the in the health sector sort of they understand those those dynamics and they're trying to get ahead of them. There's that risk that happens where people have a backlash against the preventative measures that we've taken because they actually were successful. And therefore, then people think this was unnecessary, uh-huh. right? And 
And you're talking in some ways about the flip side of that, which is we give up too soon on strategies that we might employ because we're not seeing the impacts of them happening quite yet. Yeah. And so I think for people who are leading change strategies that have some element of reinforcing feedback, what I encourage people to look for is more change in the right direction than breakthrough that we actually completely solved whatever this issue is that we're working on. So if you're working on a movement, are your numbers growing, then you're going in the right direction and keep Mm -hmm. doing it. And then I encourage people to really think about, and often you can just sketch this on a on a piece of paper, explicitly what is the feedback loop that's part of your change strategy. So if you're building a movement, your change strategy has some amount of thinking that the more people who are involved, the more new people who we will involve, the more people who are involved, the more new people, right? That's how you build that mm-hmm. exponential growth. And so you need to look at every chain in that circle and make sure you're attending to it. And so you might have great numbers, but if you haven't thought about, do we have the capacity to handle an increase in our numbers? Like what's our what's our method for orienting new members and making people feel welcome? If we don't attend to that, we're starving our potential for reinforcing feedback. And instead, we're having just linear feedback, right? It won't grow or linear lack of feedback. It, will, it won't feed upon itself. Right. So sometimes a strategy that might work at an early stage of exponential growth might you know, have a limitation later unless you've planned for it. The other thing people talk about is the, uh, the technical term is the gain around the exponential loop. So how strong is it? And there, an idea that comes from communications applies to lots of other things, which is the stickiness. So if Mm. you have a new idea that's growing, say, by word of mouth, people are like, I heard this cool new thing. And then, you know, they tell a friend and a friend tells a friend. So their stickiness is like, how captivating is the idea? How memorable is it? How easy is it for someone to share? And so maybe you have a train the trainer program. You have to think about not just how to train the trainers, but how to train them in a way that they can train the next trainers. And so it starts to be two or three cycles out. Are these materials sticky? The stickier they are, the more advantage you'll get around those cycles of reinforcing feedback. Sounds like there's a lot of, you're recommending a lot of intentionality and trying to recognize the work that people are trying to do as being part of a system, trying to figure out where you were talking about looking at each element in a sense in that system and making sure that it's not set up in a way where you're you're talking about capacity, where the capacity is not limited. If you're actually successful in getting reinforcing feedback and exponential growth, are there tools that you suggest? I mean, should we direct people to the climate leader course as, as a place to sort of help people think more about how to think in systems in that way? Um, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's a free resource that we have at Climate Interactive. Although it's focused for leaders in climate change, the ideas really could be applied to any type of social movement or change movement. And it's a series of short videos and supporting material that's sort of our offering at Climate Interactive of what we were taught in terms of systems thinking by our mentors, trying to make it just available for people doing this work. And yeah, I really recommend really holding your strategies up to the light of systems thinking if possible. I mean, our movements are under-resourced, we're outnumbered, we're overspent in many cases. And like we said at the beginning, we're up against problems that are growing exponentially. So unless we have good strategies that tap exponential growth in our response, how you know we won't be able to catch up would be would be my thinking or, or my argument for why even though it seems really urgent and you want to just be out doing the work why now and then taking a step back and framing it in systems is worth doing if you're a reader rather than a, a video course doer i think one of the best books is by my mentor Danella meadows called thinking in systems that mm-hmm. breaks down a lot of this as well yeah and i guess the last thing maybe i would add to that is for folks listening, maybe you're not somebody who is trying to mobilize people. That's not your role necessarily. Maybe your role is is trying to develop alternatives to the current economic system, food system, whatever it is that we have. Maybe the challenge there is to think about how to tap that innovation that you're working on with other systems so that people can learn from it, 
right? So you, you, your role doesn't need to be a proselytizer, let's say, but connecting with others who are able to disseminate that knowledge or that inspiration so that others can pick it up, I think is also really, really valuable. Yeah. And, you know, another set of key reinforcing feedback loops that are at play right now are technological ones where the barriers to to clean technologies, especially price, is just getting improving so much, right? So that's a reinforcing feedback loop where the more installed capacity there is of a new technology, the more economies of scale, the more familiarity people have with it, the more the price falls, which opens it to new markets where people couldn't imagine engaging with it which it opens up even more economies of scale. So there's that same flavor of the more change you have, the more change you get in the same direction. That's mm. the hallmark of reinforcing feedback. And it, yeah, it's not only about social movements at all. Sure. It's about innovation and change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful. I, I really appreciate it. And I think our listeners will appreciate it as well. Thanks so much, Beth. And, and thanks for all your work with Clement Interactive. Yeah, great. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Crazy Town. Yeah, if by some miracle you actually got something out of it, please take a minute and give us a positive rating or leave a review at your preferred podcast app. And thanks to all our listeners, supporters, and volunteers. And special thanks to our producer, Melody Travers. Okay, guys, you guys are all familiar with this expression. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Yeah, yeah. So, sounds a little harsh. It is, you know, and so it's how I live my life. Well, that's the problem. You know, nowadays it's often not legal to beat your children into <laughs> submission, right? It's just not. And so to stay out of jail, uh, modern parents need other ways to keep the peace in, in this, these overwrought, COVID-restricted households we've got, where the kids are continually squabbling, and you have to have some important business meeting on Zoom. So, what are you going to do? You know, neck ringing and muzzles are off the table. And so this is, a, this is a situation where our sponsor, today's sponsor, is perfect. It's called the Home Control Rod. And it's just made for this. You just march into any situation in your home that's driving you fucking bonkers and up the wall. All right? You march in with the Home Control Rod. You just clasp this puppy in two hands, you know, firmly. Strike it on the floor and it will immediately glow in a blinding light and hum like a fucking cathedral organ. Do, do you have to yell, you shall not pass? Well, this is the thing, okay? It will turn your voice into the voice of freaking God. And so it brings ultimate authority to the situation. It puts the little fuckers in their place, terrified and silent for at least 30 minutes, guaranteed okay, or your money back. Well, so this I, is like Moses' staff. You're yeah, basically like... Yeah, Gandalf, whatever you want. Yeah. Right. Parting the seas. In this case, it's shutting up the lips. Yes. Look, re- okay. Regardless of whether you support this uh, this this sponsor or not, at least we know that neck ringing is off the table. So that's a good public service announcement. Hey, Thanks, better, Jason. Yeah, yeah, it's an alternative. <laughs> Crazy town. Da, 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 da. Crazy town.